welcome to episode four of Retro Recall the PS1 Chronicles, a show where we play and rank every PlayStation game ever created. My name is Jimmy, and as always, I'm here with Mike. Hello. And this week, we have a special guest. Welcome, Kyle, to the show. Hello. Kyle, who the hell are you? Uh, I play drums in a band called 156 Silence, and uh, I guess you could say I'm like the sound guy for the podcast. Yeah, I'm also in that band. (laughs) Which is news to everyone listening right now. And Mike was also in that band. Wow. One of the original founders. (laughs) The one who made the name. A founding father. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. You know, to this day... We still answer the question of what the name means a million times. Even though I gave you the answer for it? I tell them your answer. We all do. Oh, you, you give them the real answer now? Yeah. I, I like it. I, I, it's a very unique name, very unique story. I think I... One thing I like about it a lot is whenever there's like bands listed alphabetically, we're always at the top because we have a number in our name and it's one. That Oh, I never thought about that. Oh, that was one of the first things I thought of when you told me. Oh, yeah. I, I just kind of threw it out there. Which I, I always like, because I said in the beginning too, I always threw that out there as a joke name. You guys all loved it, so I was like, cool, let's just keep it. Like, oh, okay. Well, a lot of those fests and like sh- bigger shows will list, like other than the headliners, everything will be alphabetically, so like we're always the first one. That was an unintentional great thing that you did. <laughs> so uh, what have you guys been up to this week? Anything exciting? There's nothing on my end, so... Uh... I've just been playing a lot of GTA RP. That's pretty much, other than playing Einhander, I've been playing that. So what is what is this RP? Uh, it's basically just like, it's a role play server. So you like make your character and you kind of live out, I guess, your life as this character. Um, it's it's kind of just everything I wanted GTA Online to be. You know, there's you know there's gangs and whatnot pretty much every character in the game is a real person like all of the police all the ems they're all real people like they're still npcs and whatnot but a lot less than you would see like in normal gta or gta online and it's just like i don't know you get a job you play you do crime if you want so this is something that rockstar made or is this a mod to the game it's a mod um you have to download this uh it's like a server browser called 5M. And it's really cool because they take, I mean, they take assets from the game, but people also create their own assets and put them into the servers and whatnot. And then sometimes different servers will have different maps. So they won't just have like the basic GTA 5 map sometimes. Like I played one server that had like a map. It was like New York City. It was like a full recreation of like New York City. Like it had like Staten Island and then like Brooklyn was in there too and like different parts of New York. Was it just like Liberty City from like GTA 4? I think so, but it was still pretty cool to see that. Yeah, I mean, that's still sick. Just the fact of having like this whole living, breathing world. And like you said, that's what GTA Online should be. So it's cool that they made a mod to do that. Oh, for sure. And I mean, it's it, it just, it, it gets super in depth and it's like, there's so much to it and so much you can do. And the thing is, is every server is different. So if you pop into a different server, you're going to have a different experience. It's really cool. I'll have to look into this. I've, the one great thing about this show is Every single time we talk about a new game, it just gives me something new to look into and research because I'm so out of the loop on all these new games and whatnot. If you do like, you know, Grand Theft Auto and you played a little bit of GTA Online and, and you were into that, you would definitely be into this, especially if you like 
like role playing um, and stuff like like doing like D and D and whatnot because you very much like there are servers where you they they take it serious so you have to very much stay in character and there's like certain things you have to say there's like lingo and whatnot. Oh, interesting. I n- I never played D and D so I don't know how much I would like that part of it. But see, I we did D and D as a band and I don't know. I just I felt kind of like detached to it. It was hard. It was hard for me to like really get into it. And I just think that's because it's like. There's no like real visual aspect to it. You have to like kind of use your imagination. Whereas like with, you know, GTA RP, like you're playing a game, you know, so there's like the whole visual and like, you know, you're controlling your character and whatnot. But then it also adds the element of like, you know, if you want to do anything in the game, like when you want to go buy something at a store, you have to go talk to somebody because there are real people that work at these stores. It kind of reminds me of like a second life type game. I only know about it because it was referenced on The Office, but it's just... You create a character that you live your own life inside of a virtual world, pretty much. Uh, I, I don't know. I think I remember seeing ads for something like that where it was the same thing. Like you create a character and it was like kind of like VR chat, but more so like you literally just live out your life as this character. Yeah, I haven't really played any other games or anything this week. I've just been, you know, writing some riffs, playing Einhander. And uh, I did watch the new Nathan Fielder show. It's called The Curse. Have either of you even heard of this? No. No. What, uh, what's it about? So it's starring... Okay, first of all, it's created by Nathan, and the other actor in it is the co-creator, and he made that movie Uncut Gems. Either of you seen that? Oh, okay. Yeah. I haven't seen it, but I know what it, it yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. So he brings that weird tension into this. So it's starring Nathan and Emma Stone as a couple. They're trying to create a new show for HGTV, and... The whole thing of the show is like they're basically creating a show about gentrification, but they don't realize it. Like they're doing it. Oh, okay. <laughs> and most of it is like the awkward situations they find themselves in, or like Nathan being ridiculous. So it's pretty much like the show Nathan for You, but more of a reality or a serious show at the same time. Yes. It's very it's it's scripted and it's very unsettling. They like use weird music and cues and the way it's filmed it's like grainy it's it's super weird on purpose obviously and the gimmick of it well not gimmick but like the main thing is in the beginning or not the beginning like halfway through the episode he gets cursed by a little girl <laughs> what yeah so i mean this this was in the trailer so i'll just tell you he so they're trying to get a shot for their show he pretends to give this girl like he's going to buy a water off of her because she's in the street selling them. She's like homeless and he only has a hundred. So he gives it to her and she's like so happy. She tells her sister and then he comes back and he's like, oh, that's actually the only money I had. I need that back right now. And then rips it out of her hand. Oh, geez. <laughs> and then she's like, I curse you. And it's a lot more like weird and serious than I'm making it out to be. But what I'm assuming is going to happen throughout the rest of the show is they are cursed and everything they do is going to just be completely fucked up. It sounds like a really awesome show. Yeah, I mean, I, I love Nathan for you. So like if, if there's any kind of like, you know, similarities between that and this, I'm sure I'll love it. The tension is just so high. Like my girlfriend was uncomfortable watching it. Like she was like, I don't want to watch this repeatedly over and over again. <laughs> but isn't that exactly what Uncut Gems was too? Yeah, I mean, it's it's that like... You know something bad is going to happen just when. Right. Yeah, I heard so many people talk about that movie of how it's a very good movie, but it's really hard to watch and get through because of all that stuff. Yeah, I mean, I saw Uncut Gems in the theater, actually, and it was 
I liked it. I have to watch it again, but I remember liking it. It's on my list. I just need to get around to actually watching it. I mainly was just excited to see Adam Sandler in such like a serious role and he's great in it. Yeah, that was like the best part for me was seeing Adam Sandler play like, you know, a serious role. And, you know, because normally you see him do like those goofy comedies and whatnot. That's actually something I brought up to someone before is that I feel like he's trying to hold on to that old comedy style that he used to do with Waterboy and uh, Billy Madison. It's just like you're you're past that phase. And so doing this serious movie is showing the world, oh, you can be serious and you can make a really good movie. And I feel like if he just keeps on with that direction, uh, it'd be he'd be making so many amazing movies. I also just think he likes to just have fun with his friends. So he just keeps like shitting out these movies for Netflix, you know? Yeah, and I mean, if it's going through Netflix, they're probably paying him so much money to do it. So why not just make something fun? Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. All right, well, you guys want to get into the game then? Yeah, let's get into it. So Einhander was released on May 5th, 1998 in North America. It was developed by Square and published by Sony. I would say the game is part of the shoot 'em up genre which, you know, it's not really too popular now, but it was very popular during like the 80s and the 90s. The general story of the game, you know, it takes place in the future during a war between colonies on Earth and the moon. You play as a one-man spaceship titled Einhander and are sent to Earth on a kamikaze mission to destroy as much as possible before you are destroyed. Very, very anime. Very much so. And even whenever you first start the game, the cinematic, it pretty much explains everything you just said. Uh which I think that beginning cinematic when the game starts is just like pulls you in. There's so much cool stuff going on and it makes the game seem really, really fun right off the bat. Yeah, I, I really loved the intro and I, I, I'll just start with like the main reason I picked this game was because me and Kyle just love the music. Oh yeah, dude, the soundtrack is like 10 out of 10 for me. Probably one of the best on the PS1. Yeah, and I, whenever I was listening to it, I loved the fact that that techno beat stuff, it's like fast paced, keeping you going with the shooting and like dodging all this stuff, moving around. It's very on brand for what the game is, gameplay wise. I will say, I was listening to it. One thing I like to do after we play a game, I like to listen to just the soundtrack alone because I feel like you get distracted trying to play the game with the music going on. And I, I swore I've heard this type of soundtrack before and I couldn't put my finger on it for the longest time. And it finally hit me just a little bit before we got into this recording. It re- this music reminds me a lot of uh, Zone of the Enders, if you remember that game that we did. Oh, definitely. I mean, that, that game has like the same vibe as this. Exactly. You're in robots, you're flying around shooting things, so it, it makes sense that it fits, but I was like, oh, this is so nice. No, uh, I found one of the songs, the credits song from the game, and I found this a while ago before I even thought about playing this game. I think before we were even going to do this show again. And I listened to that and I was like, oh shit. So then I went and I listened to the whole soundtrack and I'm like, man, I have to play this game. Yeah, I mean, I had never even heard of this game until Jim sent me the credits song um, called Earthlight. And I listened to it and I was like, wow, this is really good. And then I actually went online and I, I, you know, went through the soundtrack as well. And I was like, damn, like, this is really, really good. I don't think there's any song that just doesn't hit. Everything is just... The same as the last. Well, not the same, but the same level of energy as the last. Which is like, 
you don't, I mean, at least for me, I don't really see that in like, you know, video game soundtracks, you know, there's like, you're like, oh, this is a cool song or, oh, this is, you know, whatever. But it's like, I have actually like gone back and like just listened to these songs because I enjoyed them. Yeah. It's also, I mean, soundtracks always, of course, are the best part of the games too. I always like to listen to soundtracks whenever I'm at work. It kind of like just gets my mind off of everything as I'm mindlessly doing my job. So I'm definitely going to be adding this soundtrack into my rotation. Yeah, I've been listening to it too. It just, it really sucks that it's not on Spotify or anything. Yeah, you have to go on like YouTube or um, find it on like one of those websites that has video game soundtracks. Well, another positive of the game for me, I would say, is just the overall style. We kind of got into it, but like the anime style, the, you know, what I would call the like the PS1 aesthetic that you think of. That's what this game is to me. Yeah. All the 3D models, all the animations. I don't want to get too much into this yet, but specifically the stage three boss. If you remember, they use like the praying mantis type robot. That boss was so sick. Yeah. Whenever he's doing that animation of like riding up on the walls and whatnot, I was like, this is incredible. Every single boss has their own style that they move and whatnot. And there's a lot of little details in all these movements that I loved. Even just the first stage, like starting off in like a futuristic city, it's like just setting the tone for what this game is going to be. I think the graphics are like perfect for a PS1 game. I cannot think of a game that looks better than this that I've played. Yeah, uh, the part uh, specifically that was really cool, even though it was very minimal, I really like the part in the city where you're kind of going diagonally and the billboards are coming up and you got to shoot the billboards. That was cool. I was gonna, I was going to bring that up. Yeah, I lo- I love the the whole like 2.5D style of the game and how it just added that little more depth to everything. Yeah, especially every, every time it like transitions to like a separate part and they do like the cool 3D transitions but you're still really pretty much moving in 2D. Yeah, and it's a nice little touch of okay, you're moving into a new area now. So it's not really a loading screen. It's more like, oh, congratulations, you got through that one section. Now here's the next section coming up. More or less like a little bit of a breathing area of the game. Yeah. I will say whenever you're in like that more 3D and you have to dodge, it happens mostly with the later bosses where like you have to dodge in a 3D way while you're still on the 2D plane. Those parts kind of fucked me up. I think I know what you're talking about when you're in that diagonal view. Yeah, and like they're jumping forward and you have to go back, but the controls just don't feel right. Other than that, though, I think the game controls great. Oh, yeah, the game the game definitely felt very good to play. One thing that I wish I would have realized sooner was like your um, right and left trigger, like the speed and whatnot. I didn't quite understand that until... I got to like the end of the game and I was like, oh, that's what that's for. I love that you brought that up because that was literally going to be my next question is how long did it take you guys to realize what the speed actually did? I didn't realize it until I was done playing the game and doing research after. All right. So I looked up the controls and everything beforehand. I wanted to make sure I knew all the buttons. I saw that the triggers changed speed. I'm like, cool. While I was playing... I saw that every time I pushed the button, something was happening with the robot, but it wasn't doing anything, and, and I couldn't really figure out what was happening. It wasn't until one of the uh, cooldown 2.5D transitions of the game where I was messing with it, and I realized, oh, if I put it all the way to the fastest speed, my guy's zipping all around. 
And that explains why I was dying a whole lot before because I had it on the slowest speed. So I just couldn't get out of the way of some stuff. Yeah, I think you're supposed to play the game where like, you know, you can slow down to like precision dodge when it's getting really hectic. Yeah, yeah. It's I think the whole intention is, oh, I'm going to, I need to slow down during this part. I need to speed up during this part. And this is the way that you dodge a lot of the enemies, I think is the intention. So before we go any farther though, I think we need to address a few things that all three of us went through in playing this game. (laughs) And what would that be, Jimmy? So I played this game with save states because pretty much when I got to the... I played up until the second boss, second main boss, the one with the two hands, like the one is a flamethrower and the one's a gun. The scorpion-type robot? Yeah, so that's how far I made it until I decided that I was not going to put myself through this anymore. (laughs) How about you, uh, Kyle? I think I got to like because I mean I'm not really good at games like this to begin with um, so I think by the time I've like got to the first boss I was like alright I'm over it safe states <laughs> like, I can't do this without it because it's like it's so hard it is so hard well that's the thing like I, I played the Binding of Isaac and I've played it over you know probably a thousand hours at this point that game has so many bullet hell elements so like I'm, I would like to consider myself good at that game after playing it for a thousand hours. So I thought going into this, I would at least be able to hold my own for longer than I did. Yeah. And I love the fact that you guys both had different dropping off points of doing save states. I went through this whole, well, as much as I played, I went through without ever using save states. I played it naturally, just all the way through each time. It got to the point where I started keeping track of every playthrough I did before I got a game over, which is interesting results. So, but we'll get through this as we keep going on. Overall, I did four different playthroughs and barely made any progress through each playthrough. So it's actually interesting because playing with save states is like a different way to play the game in a way. And it's also almost just as hard because you have to figure out when to save because there's so much going on that like so many times I I hit the auto, I have it like F11 is save, F12 is load. So I'm like reaching my hand over to save really quick and sometimes I'm not still looking at the screen and I get killed. So then I just lock myself into a loop and I have to start the whole stage over. I like how Kyle was saying that on the very first boss is when he dropped off too. How many times do you think it took you to get through the first boss? Or the first, uh, not even the first boss, sorry. The first mini boss. Because each level or each stage has one mini boss and then you get to the main boss. So the very first mini boss, how long did that guy take you guys? I think uh, it took me like without save states. Um, I did like, (laughs) and this is going to sound bad, but I probably did like four or five playthroughs until I was like, okay, geez, like, I need to start using these save states because I'm, I'm, I want to get through the game and I, w- I was just so tired of like dying in the same spot. Cause I mean, this game is just, it is relentless and it very, very unforgiving. Yeah. Uh, unforgiving is the best way to put it. Uh, it's really, t- the way they do it is, it's more of an arcade style of, uh, you just have what three lives technically per ship And then you have 10 continues. When you get through all of your continues, you start over from the beginning again. So I actually made it through the first stage without using any continues 
So it turns out, I think you guys both just fucking suck. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) For me, dude, just like bullet hell games are just like, it's, it's just so much for me. And it's like, I I think part of my problem is I'm like looking around too much to see where things are coming from instead of just like focusing on my ship and like dodging things as they come as I need to. I feel like I try to get a step ahead on things and that ends up like hurting myself in the end. When I got through this first level without using continues, I was like riding high. I'm like, this game ain't that hard. I'm good. (laughs) I'm like, I'm going to just blast through this. I'm having a good time. You know, it's a little hard, but whatever. And then I get to like the second level and I start dying and I get to the boss and I'm like, it's time for save states. The entire time I was playing this, the thoughts going on in my head was Jimmy's going to make fun of me nonstop for how bad I am at this game. I'm so glad that Kyle is saying the things he's saying because I am on board with him. I'm terrible at these types of games. Uh, Any game going forward that we play that's a shooter, I'm going to be bad at. They're just not my type of game. Well, to be fair, like I'm not saying that I'm good at this game. I'm saying I beat the first level. (laughs) There's still six more. (laughs) But that's still saying something for this type of game. Because for the very first mini boss, this is very embarrassing to say because I actually kept count of this. I died 23 times on that first mini boss. Damn, dude. Yeah, that's that's the appropriate response. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, so real quick, how long did you play the game for total? Uh, two and a half hours. That's wild. I played it for an hour and like 40 minutes. I, I played it for probably about two hours. But I'd say a, 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 you know, a decent chunk of that was uh, not using save states on the first level just because it was so fucking hard. The sad part about that for the mini boss on the stage one is that that's only a minute and a half into the game. I think by the time I finally successfully beat that boss, I was about 45 minutes into playing the game to beat the first minute and a half of the game. And I think that metric right there gives you a very good point or a very good idea of how hard this game actually is. All jokes aside, like this game is just brutal in every way. Like on one hand, I respect it because you have to meet the game on its terms, right? Like, you can't just cheese your way, unless you're using safe states, obviously, but even then, you still have to learn this game and get good at it, even if you want to beat it with safe states. And I I do respect that. Because, like, if you had this as a kid, you really had to put in the time if you want to beat this shit. I couldn't imagine, like, a kid picking up this game and, like, you know, getting it for, like, Christmas or whatever, and they get so excited, and then they just jump into the game, and it's just so punishing. Especially for the first level. Like, just right out of the gate. Yeah, it's easier on the first level. There's not that much, but they're still, they throw a lot at you right away in the game. That's kind of like the sad part for me. It's like the first level is monumentally easier than like all of the other levels. And it's still just so fucking hard. Well, dude, once I started getting towards the end of the game, I was like saving and loading almost nonstop. <laughs> I think especially like towards... um Oh, what's that the the one boss fight that has like the flamethrower and then like the other arm it's just like that's what i was talking about too yeah, yeah it's just with all that going on it's sometimes you just feel like helpless like you're like where do i go you know because it's like you go one way you're gonna hit the flamethrower you go the other way there's like rockets and bullets coming at you so it's like y- you feel like you're almost left with with no option you know what i mean that was my breaking point that boss and that that's only stage two. Same for me. Yeah, yeah. That, that's the one that broke me. Yeah, that is stage two main boss. At that point, 
And I'll just say this first. I did, like I said at the top, I did four playthroughs. My first three playthroughs I did on normal difficulty. On the fourth one, I switched up to easy. You can change the difficulty? Yeah. What? (laughs) Yeah, I play on easy. (laughs) I didn't know that. So if you, it's before you even start the game, like you have the menu, main menu, and it says start game. You have to go over to configuration and you can change the difficulty in there. Oh my God. Yeah, Kyle, as you play more games with us, you have to use the trick where you, as soon as you start the game, before you do anything else, go through everything in the options. And as soon as you start the game, pause it, go through all the options again. Literally every single menu and area you can go into into a video game, you have to check it out. Especially with this. If I didn't go through that option, I never would have seen that. Yeah, I still do that with modern games too. Like I just, you know, you, you like to be prepared. You like to know what you're getting yourself into. I feel so silly right now. I mean, to be fair, I don't think it's that different. No, it's really not. Um, but I mean, it's something to feel bad about on the second game we did, which is Soul of the Samurai. It took me an hour and a half into the game to realize that there's a map in the game. <laughs> so it's, oh I don't blame you for not knowing that there's a difficulty change. Well, yeah, I mean, that's part of this too, is like, we don't, we don't look anything up. We're just going into it like you would go into it. So if you don't find something like, who's to say that the same thing wouldn't happen to you when you played it as a kid? Exactly. Yeah. And I actually did look into the whole difficulty thing after the fact. And it turns out that from what I can tell, easy to normal is the same amount of enemies. The only change is that on easy, your damage is increased by a specific percent. If you go to hard mode, then the enemies are more aggressive and your damage is decreased by a certain percent. Who would make it harder? And I'm actually curious on like, what does hard look like? If normal was that relentless, I could not imagine hard. So I actually watched a YouTube video. You can find this. It's a, a full playthrough of this game on hard mode with no deaths and S rank on every mission. It is just, I, I looked at it and I'm like, I don't even understand how someone could put the time in to master this. Like, what are you doing with your life? I think at that point, you re- like the, those are the kind of people who are like, they're really getting down to every single detail and they know what enemies are coming from where. And it's almost like they just have the whole thing memorized to a point, almost like as if they were like trying to speed run the game or something. Yeah, that's true. And that's a great point because that is what this game is. You need to memorize every single enemy, all the bosses, because there is no saving in this game. Exactly. You play until you get a game over, you get a score, and that score is like, oh, this is how far you made it, and you try again, which works for the replayability. It's just having to learn the entire game, finally making it to a new area, losing everything and having to start over again is just so brutal. I do give it a little bit of slack because if you beat the game, and let's say like you're good at this, you don't die too many times, you can beat this game in like an hour. If this was like a 20-hour game, or even like a five-hour game, right? Like, that would be unforgivable. But in this state, you know, like you guys are saying, like it's an arcade game, it is okay to me that it does that. I don't love it. You know, I wish you could save, but at the end of the day, it doesn't break it for me. No, it's definitely not broken at all. It's not really a complaint of mine, per se, because I understand the intention behind the game. It's all memorizing. It's all learning what you did wrong the first time so you can fix it. The second time. So whenever I was keeping track of all my playthroughs, obviously, like I said, died 23 times on the first mini boss. And then 
I get uh, I got to continue with, or game over completely on the stage two mini boss, which is that scorpion thing. But then on my second playthrough, I only died five times on the stage mini boss or stage one mini boss. So right there, I'm already seeing an improvement every single time I'm going through this game, which is why I didn't want to use save states. I wanted to see how much am I progressing through every single playthrough. Yeah, I, I should have done that, but I just don't have the patience. I really don't like this genre of games has been one that I've always wanted to like. And I've tried so many times, like even the last time we were on tour, like on my Steam Deck, there was a sale and I bought a couple of them. I played them for five minutes and then never again. They're just so hard. They're so unforgiving. And like all games like this are this like you have to memorize. You have to just get good at it. And there's no way around that. Yeah, I think the, the biggest thing for me that made it so hard was it's just like you get hit once and like that's it. Yeah, it's unforgiving in that aspect. I think what they should have did was it should have been like if you get hit once, you lose your weapon and then you get that second hit. But if you don't have a weapon, you only get one hit. I think that would have been a cool way. Oh, kind of like how like in Mario, like when you have like the mushroom or whatever and you're bigger, it's it's pretty much just like doubling your health in a way. Yeah, yeah. I think that would be cool. It'd be a nice compromise. But technically they do that already in this game. You, if you have a weapon, you can use it to shield your shots and they'll get destroyed before you die. Yeah, but if you still get hit on your actual ship, you die. True, yeah, but you can. You technically do have a shield with your weapon if you wanted it to be. Yeah, I just mean like, okay, let's say you have a a, a weapon you get hit anywhere, you drop the weapon, and that's like, you know, your extra hit. I think that would be cool. I get what you're saying with that. So, talking about the weapons, though, um, do you guys have a favorite? Uh, the one that I used the most by far was the cannon. Yeah, I do like the cannon a lot. My favorites, I wrote down three. The cannon, the wasp, and the blade. It's funny that you bring up the blade, because as I was typing out my notes and I let the game playing on the side... It does that demo mode where it kind of shows you the gameplay that you're about to get into. And on that one, it showed, I only refer to it as a lightsaber because I'm like, what the hell is that thing? <laughs> like, this thing's just cutting through everything. And it's that blade. The blade is nice. I, I found that my most used weapon was the Vulcan, the Gatling gun. Oh, okay, yeah. And my second was the cannon. I always use those two weapons the most. I would just go for the cannon no matter what, if I saw it. My my favorite, because I mean, I really like the cannon. I like the wasp a lot. Um, the blade was really cool too. I think my favorite though, I think it was called, was it the riot is what it's called? It's like that, almost like that charge beam rifle. I thought that one was cool too. I, I, I really liked that one a lot because you were able to just like, you know, if you charged it up all the way, you could take out like big packs of enemies and clear out space real easily. You could just clear the screen with that thing. Yeah, is that I found to be very, very helpful because if I ever felt like I was in a position where I didn't think I could get out of something, I would just fire that and I'm like, okay, I'm good now. Uh, which which ship did you guys play as? I remember mine was like the MK3 because there's like the MK2 of one ship and then the MK3 of that. So there's there's three different ones. One of them is the one I played as. You can only have one extra gun, but your machine gun is more powerful. Then there's the second one where your machine gun is less powerful, but you can have multiple extra guns. And then the third one, you only have extra guns and you don't have the machine gun. Yeah, the MK2 is the machine gun with three extra slots for weapons. And the MK3 is the more powerful machine gun with one extra slot. And that one, that's the one that says like on the menu, it says this is the one for beginners or whatever. So that's the one that I used. I started with the MK2 just because it was the first one that showed up on the screen. And then I eventually switched to the MK3 afterwards because I felt like just to try different ships. I never tried the third one. 
I was kind of done with the game after that. But yeah, I mean, from what I can gather, the third one is mostly like it makes the game a lot harder because you have to manage your weapons more, you know, obviously because you're only having those extra ones. They're called gun pods, by the way. Yeah, that's it. So did you guys try to use every different type of gun pod? Through my playthrough, um, I, I'd say I definitely used all of them. Anytime I saw a new one, I wanted to try it at the very least. Yeah, if I saw a new name pop up, I there's often times I died trying to get to the new one because I wanted to see what it was. Were there any that you guys didn't like? The grenade launcher, for sure, for me. Yep. That that is the one that comes to mind for me too. I did not like the grenade launcher at all. I just didn't like any of the ones that had you shooting above or below you. There's also that one option you have in the game where if you push a circle, it switches the gun to above you or below you. So you have different aiming positions. Yeah, I also didn't realize that for a while either. Oh, okay. I really love how with some of the guns you can shoot behind you. Uh, some you can shoot down at more of an angle, up at more of an angle. It's Every single weapon had a, it's a variety of what you could do with it, which I thought was a really nice touch. Yeah, but it's also bullshit that you can't turn around. Yeah. Oh, especially when there's that one boss that like goes behind you. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. That's the exact one I'm thinking of. I was I was like, what am I am I just supposed to like not do anything? You just wait. I am looking at the wiki right now though, and I didn't I didn't know this. There are four secret gun pods. I was gonna bring that up too, yeah. So go ahead and <laughs> describe some of them. Um, I'm just seeing the names here, but there's Juno, Flash, Mosquito, and Python. Uh, do you, did you look into anything about them, like what they do? So I looked at the top one, I think you said was Juno. Apparently, you can get this secret weapon in the very first stage on the very first mini-boss, I believe. And the way to get it is you need to shoot the base of the boss and break that off, and then you get an S rank in the game or something, and then that's how you get that gun, I think. So it's like these hidden things that you had to do a specific set of actions to get these special weapons. I did see that there's extra like optional things you can do in every level. Like one of them is in the first level, if you break every single billboard, you get like a higher rank. I had no idea about that or the secret guns or anything other than when I was doing research because like obviously they're hidden in the game. They don't just tell you about it. And it's one of those things that you just have to just accidentally find when you're playing it of shooting the boss somewhere different and then, oh, this is how you unlock this thing. Now, how often do you use your gun pods? I try and wait until the boss or like a tough enemy. Yeah, I wish I would have done that because um, I kind of felt like anytime I was put in a situation where I felt like, you know, I was going to die or things were too hard, I would just start firing off my gun pod just to like make my way out of it. But then I found by the time I got to the boss, um, I would have like little to, you know, or no ammo at all, and I just wouldn't have that extra gun pod. So there were some bosses where I was just like using only, you know, the main machine gun, which made things very annoying. I typically will play games like that in general where I just like hoard the good shit until I need it, but then you like never end up using it. It's like a lot of people say they'll like end a Final Fantasy game with like a million healing items. On the same way in any of those games too. But I was kind of more or less like a hybrid between you two. I try to save it for the boss as much as possible, but if I found myself in a situation I couldn't get out of, I'd definitely use the ammo if I needed it, but uh, conservatively. I made sure to not use it as much as I needed to a lot of the times. Oh man, I would just start panic blasting. Like, oh, there's too many enemies. <laughs> I will say I love how if you die on a boss, so if you die at all whenever you're doing this, 
you lose any gun pod that you had. I really love whenever you die on a boss, how they give you a gun pod to go into the boss fight every single time. Very generous. Although you can mess that up. You can screw that up and kill that that uh, enemy that has that gun. Or you just touch it and die. Yeah. I've done that so many times where they're like, oh, here's this weapon so you can use that against the boss. And I kill that robot and now I don't have that gun. Because <laughs> it's not just you kill the enemies, you get their guns. You have to shoot specific spots on the enemies to get the gun. And if you screw that up, you kill the guy before you can and you destroy the gun with it. I also found it to be very generous where they start you after you die. It's typically not too bad. It's not like you're doing the whole level again. Yeah, even if you get a continue, it's still starting in the same spot, which when I got my first continue, I honestly expected it to start me over again at the beginning of that stage, at least. That's what I thought, too. So the fact that they keep you right where you just started, like a little checkpoint, it's very nice. It's not like hand-holding, but it kind of just gives you, it prevents you from getting too frustrated. I did read when doing research that in the Japanese version, I guess there is a mode that has unlimited continues and it's like a difficulty mode underneath easy. Yeah, it's called free mode, right? Yeah. I think if this game had that still, I would pretty much have no complaints playing this game at all. I was same. I think I would have played normally and then after like getting the real experience, I would have went to free mode. To like just destroy everything. But even then, like you could just start with that and then work your way up. If the free mode were an option, I mean, I wouldn't have had to, f I wouldn't have felt the need to uh, use save states. Now, with the game, gun pods, did you ever find yourself accidentally grabbing one and completely screwing yourself? All the fucking time. <laughs> yeah, you get one that sucks and then it's just like, ah. Yeah, like I accidentally pick up the grenade launcher and I'm like, why? There's a time I had, I think, about 2,000 rounds on the Vulcan. And I shot an enemy, blew up the gun, fl went flying in the air. I didn't even try to get the gun, and it landed on me. And it replaced my Vulcan, and I lost all my ammo. And I was so angry that it was an automatic pickup like that. Yeah, and another gun I don't like, by the way, the shotgun. Oh, the spreader. I, I actually didn't mind that. Um, I mean, it, it definitely wasn't one of my favorites, but I, I wasn't mad like when I had it, you know, because it was, it was still pretty helpful. I mean, at least I thought it was. I'm just, I was pretty much just mad anytime I lost my cannon, if we're being real. <laughs> uh, there's times, like Kyle said, where I found the spreader useful. If I ever had it and I had to switch it out, I always would. Like I, I just felt more comfortable with the Vulcan or the cannon on me. I will say, um, it wasn't like the last level, but that one where you have to take down that ship and uh, like destroy those two thrusters or whatever they were. Um, the spreader was really nice with that because I didn't have to quite like jam myself in that space to hit the um, the thruster or whatever it was. I could just kind of like be a little far back, so I wasn't like cornering myself with you know shit coming behind me. Yeah, Mike probably didn't see that level, but I actually really, really liked that level. I thought it was fun. Oh, that that was probably one of my favorites for sure. Which I guess I should probably point out, the farthest I ever made it was stage four until I died. So so I looked this up, and Kyle, if you get to that level, if you don't destroy the ship in time, you get the bad ending and the game just ends. Like right there? Yeah. Oh, okay. Is that the final stage? If you don't beat it. Oh, so there is more if you do beat it. The game, the game also fake ends one time too. What does that mean? Do you want to explain that a little bit? Yeah. Uh, well, you beat this this level, and you know you basically com complete the mission, and 
you get like what seems like an ending cutscene, and then the game just keeps going. Yeah, I thought the game was done at that point too. Yeah, it pops up. It's like one month later. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, wait, what? I did think, you know, we, we don't have to get into it too much, but I did think the conclusion to the story was cool. Oh, for sure. I, I've really liked the story of this game. It doesn't wrap up everything nicely from what they start you with. So like essentially what happens is you complete the mission, right? And then the people you were fighting for are basically like, you're done. You did everything you could possibly do without dying. So now we're going to kill you. And then the rest of it is a month later, you're fighting back against them. Oh, interesting. Okay. That's pretty neat. Which I do want to say that the reason I didn't really find the need to finish the game was whenever you're playing this, the gameplay is pretty much the same. You hold the shoot button, you dodge everything. It's pretty much you're just doing many little levels until you get to the bosses. And then you do the mini boss, do a little bit more of a level, and then you get to the main boss. It's pretty much just mainly boss fights that you're building up to every single time. So I felt like the gameplay never really changed all that much in the two and a half hours I played. It's just when you get to the new boss, you just learn what their new movements are. Obviously, that takes some time, but every single boss has unique movements and then you just try to figure that out. Unless it changes, does it change at all in later stages? Well, there is the level we were talking about where you have to destroy this the thrusters on this ship and you have a timer and you have to do it before the ship takes off. I hear your complaint. But in my opinion, I I like it for that reason, for the same reason why I like a game like Dark Souls. It's hard and it's punishing, but I feel like, you know, I never got to this point with this game. But once you master it, once you really get a hold on this game, I feel like you will have that sense. What's the word I'm looking for? The sense of... Uh, Accomplishment? What? Did you say punishment? Accomplishment. <laughs> oh, I thought you said punishment. Personal punishment that personal punishment you get from playing Dark Souls. <laughs> also true. But the personal satisfaction you get from beating a hard boss, I think you would get that from this game. Yeah, and I, I don't want it to be misconstrued. I, I wasn't complaining at all about that. I was just saying, for the sake of the show, I felt like I gathered all I needed to with the two and a half hours I played, even though I didn't make it all the way through. Well, I was just saying that because, you know, a lot of the time, I feel like a common theme in these episodes so far has been that games are hard. <laughs> Dude, especially old games, like, you know, like PS1 games, like, I don't think there was really a lot of, like, forgiving aspects to it. And I mean, not just this game. And I mean, if you go back even further to, like, Super Nintendo games and stuff, like, the the Lion King game is notorious for being super difficult because it's very, very unforgiving. And it's like, you know, you die, that's it. Yeah, I mean, these games are pretty much like get good. But they had to be difficult for what they were back in the day. It's I mean, yeah, you definitely got your money's worth because, you know, you had to spend time into like learning the game, learning the mechanics, and then like, you know, learning the levels and making sure that like, you know, y you weren't making the same, the same mistakes that uh, you were making before. And, you know, and, and it, it is kind of like it did remind me of Dark Souls in some sense where it was like, yeah, the game is very punishing and unforgiving. But in a sense, it's also fair. And I found that anytime I was dying, it was because of mistakes that I had made. Completely agree with you. And to your point about making a game last, right? Like, I think to completely master this game, you'd be playing this shit for 20 hours at least. And you got to think too, it's just, like we said, it's a shoot 'em up game. Shoot 'em ups by nature are just relentless in every single game you play that is in this genre. 
Yeah, and you know, I, I definitely think that if you get this game, you know what you're getting yourself into. So the difficulty of it is not a surprise to you. Oh, no, not at all. Going with the gameplay, what did you guys think overall about like the movements and everything? I felt like the game controls great. Obviously, it's hard. We're going to say that a million times, but I had no issues with the controls. I I thought it felt smooth. I wish I would have realized the whole speeding up, slowing down thing, but I had no complaints. Yeah, I, I mean, I definitely agree with everything you just said. Um, the controls and everything like that were, were great. They're smooth. I have no complaints about that. Any complaint I have about the game would have nothing to do with like the controls or the mechanics, like how it played. Yeah, I, I think, like you said, the understanding the speed thing that screwed me over a lot in the early time, like earlier on. Uh, after I figured that out, I was able to at least dodge things I wasn't able to dodge before, which was nice. I think I don't know if you encountered this, but there are definitely some boss or some enemies where their hitbox wasn't where you thought it was. I'm specifically referring to the I'm going to call them the seahorse robots on the stage two. I don't remember having any sort of notable problem with those ones specifically. Okay. Because I would shoot and there would be times I swore I heard, hit them at least five times and the bullets just seemed to phase through them until I hit like in a very specific spot and it actually killed them, which actually killed me a lot of times because of that. You know, now that you mention it and I think about it, um, I definitely know what you're talking about because there were times where it was like, you know, I try to just like inch up and hit like the bottom of an enemy or something and there's like a more specific spot that you need to hit to take it out. And that did cause me to run into some trouble too. Uh, the... Biggest thing, too, is, uh, I mean, I love how when you have the 3D nature of the game, there's pros and cons to this. I feel like whenever you're playing on the stage two, this happens twice, where you see the train uh, vehicle going behind in the background, and then you eventually catch up to that. And then later it happens with that Scorpion miniboss. Uh, he rides in the background and comes back to the foreground. And I love how they play with that depth. And when uh, enemies come in, they can either come from the background or the foreground and fly in front of you to get in front of you. However, the cons of that is I've always had difficult times of what is the foreground, what is the background, what is in front of yes, you. Yes, I 110% agree with you there. I died so many times thinking something was in the background and it hits me. And I, I thought, where did you come from? I thought I wasn't even allowed to shoot you yet. Yeah, it's like you have to watch for exactly when they do the transition. It was like uh, that one boss... Um, the one that like goes behind you, there's that part where he like bounces between the background and the foreground. And, you know, there were times where it's like, I'm like, okay, you know, is he in the background or the foreground or whatever? And then, then I would move and I would run into him. I'm like, oh, well, guess he was in the foreground. <laughs> so aside from all that, oh, what about improvements for the game? I know we talked about some things of like what's in the foreground, what's in the background, but were there any other improvements you had? I, the main thing for me, honestly, um, was like, one thing I thought of, and I mean, and there's multiple ways you go around it to like make the game a little more forgiving. Like one thing is like that free mode um, that was in the Japanese version. That would make it a little more forgiving if it was like, you know, in the American release of it. But it would just be nice if it was like, you know, if you had some kind of health, like, you know how you're, you have like your ship lives and you continue. Like if you just didn't die and have to go back to the save point every time you got hit, um, that would be nice. But I mean, that being said, I feel like, although that's something I would like to see in the game, I don't know if it's if it's like 
necessary. You know what I mean? Because like the game is what it is. You know, it's supposed to be hard. I put down health as well as an improvement. Either a health or a shield, some type of thing that even if the health gave you maybe you had to get hit three times instead of once. But I went through the same thought process as you where I thought, does this game actually need health? I feel like the one hit kill thing adds just more stress and makes it more difficult and makes you not want to take risks when you're shooting someone. So I kind of agree with what you're saying in there. Yeah, or like another compromise could be like, what if one of the gun pods was a shield and that allowed you to take a few extra hits? But by by having that, you can't have another gun pod. That's a, that's a good idea. And especially when you're using the MK3 ship and you only have one gun pod slot, you have to make that determination of do I really need this shield or not. That's a great idea. But other than that, I don't, I don't really have anything else just because we kind of covered most of the things that I would improve about it. The only other thing I thought of, and it's just something you see a lot in shoot 'em up games, is weapon upgrades. Uh, you you kind of just are given a handful of guns and that's it. And there's a lot of variety, so there's not too much to complain about. This is one of those, like, what if there was, like, an upgrade slot to each weapon to, like, just improve the rate of fire or the spread or something like that? I think that'd be really cool. And even if, like, as you progress through the game, you could get, like, ship upgrades and stuff like that. So say, like, the first level or whatever, you know, you just have your ship as it is, but say you get, like, you know, X amount of score or whatever, and it's like, okay, you can upgrade your ship and maybe you can add, like, a shield to it to give you an extra hit or, you know, increase the firepower of, like, your main gun. I think it would be cool if they could, like, explored that and got a little more in depth with the ships as opposed to just like, okay, here's your ship and then here's your gun pods. Go have fun. I like that idea. Just like another little extra bit of customization just to build your ship the way you want to. That's fun. Yeah, and I, but they do make up for it with giving you a lot of variety of different guns. So it's not a huge deal again. I think these improvements, none of them are really like, oh, this game needs us to be good. I think it's just... I mean, there are a little bit of quality of life improvements that they could have made, but at the end of the day, are they needed? No. Yeah, this would make it better, but it doesn't need it. All right, so before we get to our scores, this is the part where we're going to take a look at a couple of retro reviews and see how the game was received at the time. This game received absolutely glowing reviews at the time. I only have a couple here, but IGN gave it a 9 out of 10. They said, Einhander looks impressive, plays incredibly fast, and has some of the best sound and music to ever grace the PlayStation. It's the best shooter currently available on the PSX. Obviously, I agree with the sound and music. Oh, yeah. The, I, I totally agree with the, the sound and music as well. The lowest score I could find was by Famitsu, which is a Japanese magazine. They gave it a 31 out of 40, but like I couldn't find the actual review or I would have translated it. So I did find one more review from GameSpot. They gave it a 7.9 out of 10. They said, it's an excellent game that boasts all the assets that the best of its genre have to offer, as well as many of its inherent shortcomings. With that in mind, it probably won't make you a fan if you don't like this type of game in the first place, but rest assured, if you like shooters, you'll love Einhander. Which, another review, I absolutely agree with. Yeah, I don't think that this would be a game that could be used to like introduce somebody to the genre. Um, but I feel like if you're already familiar with shoot 'em ups and whatnot, like you'll enjoy this. Plus, I think anyone who plays a shoot 'em up, they're going into that game already loving that genre, in one way or another. So, I, I agree with this review as well. All right. Well, 
that brings us to what I'm thinking is going to be the most exciting part of this podcast. Uh, so what? who wants to go first? I'm very interested to hear what, what Mike has to say. <laughs> so as you know, our score is going to be the average of all three of us put together. So this could go many different ways. It could. Uh, I did think about this a lot. And, ah, boy. So I was all over the place. Ultimately, it came down to the fact that I think this is a very fun game. I don't think there's really all that much that needs to be improved, really, aside from just the player skill in general to be better at this game. I'm sitting at a very good seven for this game. Wow, I thought you were going to go low. Why would you think I was going to go low on this? I, I So my entire thought this week after I played it was like, uh, Mike's going to play it. It's going to be hard as fuck. He's going to hate it. Yes, you're not wrong. But I do think that, like, even though it's hard, you're you can still see how good of a game this is. Correct. And I originally was going to go low with this, and I'm like, oh boy, we're going to fight a lot on this episode. But I had to remove myself from the personal skill level of it. Um, yeah, games are going to be hard, or we're probably not going to have fun with certain games. But that doesn't mean it's a bad game. And ultimately, I can't see that for someone who loves shoot 'em ups. They would absolutely love this game. And even though it was hard, I died a lot, didn't even make, see the entire game. I still think it was really fun. Yeah, it, it's it's hard, but fair. Exactly. So I gave it an eight. Wow. That's up there. I was not expecting that high. I would, if this game completely sucked, I still would have given it a seven for the vibe and the music alone. To me, playing this with save stays is still worth it. I had a really good time. It's hard. You know, will I ever play it again? Maybe not. But will I listen to the soundtrack? Absolutely. And for me to get excited about a game just for the other stuff and then for the game to still be very good, that puts it at an eight for me. And I will say that uh, the point of even with safe states, I want to point out that, yeah, whenever I switch to easy mode, I still only made it to stage four. On that, so just because you change the difficulty doesn't mean it gets that much easier. Uh, I still got a game over. I'll even go a step farther with that, and like, you could probably just download the Japanese version and just play in free mode. Yeah. Well, before I get into my score, one thing I, I wanted to bring up, since you did give it an eight, which is pretty high, um, if you removed the the whole aesthetic and the soundtrack from that, do you think that would affect your score? Um, greatly like do you think you would give it something a lot lower than an eight i think that if this game didn't have the amazing music the vibes the graphics the cutscenes, the story all that stuff and it was just the shooter part without all that extra stuff absolutely would bring it down for me i don't know by how much i can't say but i would at least be at a six or a seven if this didn't have that extra stuff maybe even lower depending on if it was a different kind of game you know I was going to say, even six or seven is really high to not have all those elements as well. Yeah, I, yeah I'm full of shit. Pro I'd probably go five or six. But it does have all that, though. So The, fa the fact that you know the aesthetic and the music are that good that it would raise your score to an eight, I think that says a lot in itself. Absolutely. And you know what I recommend this game? Probably not if you don't like this kind of game. But it just encapsulates like the PS1 attitude and vibe and aesthetic for me. So like, it's hard to hate this game, even though it's hard to play. Yeah, I, I don't think difficulty actually results in bad. It's It gives you something to learn and it gives you something to work towards to keep going forward. And I mean, um, 
So I had a very similar experience to Mike um, when it came to my review, where I kind of had to remove myself from that like personal experience aspect as far as like the difficulty and whatnot, because I was sitting at a lower score than what I ended up at. But once I was able to kind of like take a step back and just really like, you know, look at the game for what it was, I also um, landed on a seven just because, you know, the the aesthetic of the game, the soundtrack are, are just so good it's that 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 really made the game a lot more enjoyable for me just because like it looks so fucking cool. And the soundtrack is like, like I said, it's like a 10 out of 10 for me. I, I, I love every bit of it. Um, the controls never really felt clunky or anything like that. Um, had I learned like the, the whole speed mechanic earlier and on, I think that would have made the game easier for me because I would have been able to do like the precision dodging stuff or got out of the way a lot quicker to avoid being hit by like an onslaught of bullets. But um, everything, you know, added up. I think this game for me sits at a really solid seven. I can agree with all that. And I think if you knew about the difficulty changing too, that would have helped a lot. Oh, for sure. I mean, and I, and I, I think I think kind of, but also part of it, it's like where you said that going from, you know, easy to normal, it's pretty much like your gun's just a little stronger. Um, I, don't, I don't know if that would have helped me too, too much, but at the same time, I probably would have been able to take down enemies a little bit quicker, therefore being able to not run into as many, you know, issues as I did. Yeah, so unfortunately with three people, that does put us at a 7.33 repeated uh, with the score. It gives us an odd number, but... That's all right. It's a good setting of between 7 and 8. Yeah, so uh, with that, that officially makes Einhander the new best PlayStation game of all time. Good job, Einhander. You did it. <laughs> yeah, that's a... As I was playing, I'm like, wow, we finally got someone to dethrone Crash Bandicoot. Now, how long till someone dethrones Einhander? I think we got a while. You think so? I want to say yes. There weren't many flaws with this game. So to find another game that can sit at this level, it will be a while, I think. That's going to do it for us. Thank you so much for watching or listening. Thank you, Kyle, for joining us. If you enjoyed this, please remember to like and subscribe as well as give us a rating on podcast services. We'll see you next week. Bye.